This week, I'm speaking to the utterly inspiring Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company. One of Britain's most admired entrepreneurs, Julie founded her company making quality leather satchels with just one goal, to send her children to a better school. Her satchels became an overnight success where they were spotted on the front rows of New York Fashion Week and on the arms of countless celebrities. Her bags reached cult status and within the next few years, the company was worth upwards of £50 million. Julie was awarded an OBE, became the star of Google's Moonshot campaign and most importantly, she realised her dream of sending both children to a good school. I travelled to Cambridge to have tea with Julie, where we talked about the rollercoaster ride and what it takes to build such an iconic brand. Enjoy! Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Julie, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to meet a complete idol of mine. And you're a hero to, I know, many other women and actually many other mothers. When I told people I was coming to meet you, honestly, people just gasped. And that is the effect that you have had. And I'm sure that you've been told you're being called many things, wonderful things, I'm saying, but the queen of British kitchen table business startups, because building a business from a kitchen table. Um, I empathise with that journey. But actually, you are someone who has gone above and beyond. I just wanted to start because I'm going to ask you about the story. But as I was reading more and more about you, I wanted to touch on your relationship with your mother, because you cite her as what makes your brand unique. Is she really your secret weapon? I think she's the country's secret weapon. (laughs) My mother, if things get really tough, we'll have to call her in. (laughs) She is absolutely amazing. And she's the reason I don't really worry about getting older because my mum is still probably the most fun person to spend time with. And she's so glamorous and so well turned out, but really mischievous. Um, and and just the person that is is so totally on the side of her daughter and her grandchildren, you know, and and where she she would never ever think that we would do anything that we didn't have a very good reason for doing, you know. And she backs us to the hilt. And she's she's phenomenal. She's got the best taste, but she's not stuffy. I heard um, that you said. Well, the thing is, you have got to get someone who will work really hard, put up with your slightly, easily irritated temperament and not expect to be paid. 
it narrows until you're left with just your mother. Yeah, that's exactly right. I just, (laughs) fantastic. (laughs) And so I really relate to this because um, when we started Not on the High Street, Sophie and I, our family were the crew that would come on board who weren't demanding much, uh, not even a penny. And as we started the business, um, you realise that having, um, specifically my sister started with me, she was employee number three, and 15 years now we've been working together. And there's nothing quite like, is there, this telepathy, this loyalty, the cutting to the chase, this, this um, it's almost like I would say a secret weapon. Yeah. Um, and I think that we could have grown faster if my mother hadn't, you know, made me an only child. Right. If I'd had siblings, <laughs> I could have drafted in. We could have really ramped it up So the growth of the fast. company is her fault, possibly. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. You brought on your mother, you brought on this love, this 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 building a family ultimately through your employees. Can you just tell me, I mean, it's one of my favourite stories, but I'd love to hear it firsthand because I'm sitting opposite you. The Cambridge Satchel Company, how did it all come about? It is just one of those things that uh, I, I would start off by saying, I, I don't need to be a founder, CEO, entrepreneur person. That's not. There are things in my life that I do need, but on the work side, that isn't really what what does it. And so it needed to be, there was a a real reason to it. It, I could never have done this if it was to have a big house or a a flash car or, or something like that. It was just too hard. I just wouldn't have done it. But getting my children into a fantastic school a school where they would thrive and feel safe and happy and really look forward to going every day. You know, that that was absolutely the driving force. I had been fortunate enough that I had been a stay-at-home mum, you know, and so I'd been at home for eight years. And, and it's not actually a boring time <laughs> at all. It's really, really nice because if you're someone who's busy, you will be busy whatever you do. So, you know, it's... um. I like to think I was a gift to the parish council in helping them move forward with their organisation. They they might not have seen it that way. Um, <laughs> a gift to the chair of governors. I became chair of governors at the local school. You know, brought in some insights. <laughs> and uh, and so gift. if you're a busy, another gift. Uh, and and if you're a, a busy person, you just love doing stuff. You know, and so. Uh, the signs were there that I should have had something else when the children were past that stage of being like four and needing things all the time. They'd come home with with some kind of project and I, I would just think, oh, this is fantastic and grab it with awful enthusiasm. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, we can do that. <gasps> I know. Why don't we do a scale model of our house and use scraps of the actual carpet from each room, you know, in there and and see if we've got any dregs of paint so that it's exactly the right paint on all the walls. Oh, and goodness. then we can go around and, and you're thinking, actually, maybe you should just have got a job at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, It was a sign. There was a sign. The signs were there. Uh, And I I do remember that there was a particularly painful time before before Cambridge Satchel when I had, um, it was my son's birthday, and I had been waiting all day for him to come back from school. He's six. And I was thinking, it's a Spider-Man-themed tea. And really gone to town on the Spider-Man-themed tea. And... 
they came back from school and said, um, oh, can we just uh, have a bit of a play with Aidan next door? And I was thinking, are you mad? All day I've been waiting for this Spider-Man tea. And my mum and I sat in this table, sort of surrounded by all this Spider-Man thing and webbing, and it was all going on. And I just thought, ooh, I, they're moving on. And it's getting to that point, there were six and eight, where I'm going to have to find something. Otherwise, I'm going to be left with cleaning and cooking and ironing and that's not good it's great to be home with the children doing fun things and activities and making cabbages out of play-doh and all this kind of thing love that don't really see myself keeping a house and I definitely don't see myself as being a lady who lunches I don't like networking so that's not that's a channel shut yeah, to me. was shut to um, But then it, all I needed was the motivation to sort of drive myself at sort of rocket speed down some sort of corridor. And that motivation was um, getting them into an amazing school. And Cambridge, because of the university, we have some incredible schools here. Yes. Uh, you know, and, yes. And, and so what I always say to people, and this probably sort of flies in the face of lots of advice, but I'm always more motivated by something that looks like a real moonshot. You know, it's the dream. Uh, Because you can think, I'm going to get them into an amazing school, start looking at the schools, realise, God, schools are really expensive. School fees are really expensive. So let's look at one that's sort of affordable, you say, no, the heck with that. Look at the one that's the dream, the one that you think, if I could get them there, that would be perfect. And then look at how much it costs because that's the challenge. The thing that's really important is that you need something that you feel completely passionate about yep. because, you know, I, I started Cambridge Satchel with £600. That was the... Yep. That was the the amount that I had to spend on it. I wasn't going to borrow. I wasn't going. It was that's what it was, and and so I had to learn to code to code the first website. You know, I had to do that. And so when you're doing that, and you've got a six year old and an eight year old, and there aren't that many sort of hours in the day. You find yourself, it's three o'clock in the morning and you're trying to learn Mm -hmm. to code because you've set yourself this ridiculous target of, I'm going to learn to code over three nights and then on the fourth night I'm writing the website. And and that's what's happening here. And and so when you're that tired and it's that sort of early in the morning, you need something you feel really passionate about just to remind you of why you're doing it. And that's different for different people. And if what floats your boat is, you know, uh, a, a beautiful sort of P1 McLaren or whatever, th- that's fine. I mean, it's it doesn't matter what it is, but finding something you feel really passionate about, I think, is really key. And that's £600. It's a crazily small amount of money. And yet you took that and you've grown what you have grown today. When other people, and I I speak to a lot of small businesses who almost use that lack of finance as, I don't want to say the excuse, but it is put there as their barrier. What would you say to people who have that sort of mindset that that money was what's going to stop them? And and, and you had a background in finance. Do you feel that that helped you? And Look at that. biophysics. And sorry. Super helpful. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> biophysics and finance. So, yeah. So you might helpful, have a different, a different type of bit, view bit of on that £600. Yeah. But what is your viewpoint on that? And I think £600 isn't a small amount of money. 
you know, it, it isn't a small amount of money. £600, what would I spend? Six, I wouldn't spend £600 on a bag. It, it's not a small amount of money. I think that £600 is enough, is certainly in the area that that I was trying to do something in, it's enough to find out if your idea is a good idea. And I was doing um, a business game with a few local sort of schools and they, they sort of said in this game, we will give you £100,000. Um, tell us what you do with this £100,000 uh, to set up the game and everything. And, and I thought the first thing you should do is you give 99000 back <laughs> because nobody's <laughs> going to give you that without wanting you to jump through hoops. Yeah. And you don't need somebody else putting pressure on you in those early days. Early days, no. you, you need to be doing things to find out is it an idea that only you feel passionate about? And and so you shouldn't really be spending. And also, when you don't have um, money, then you you don't waste money. I think that's a really, really important It's a thing. really important lesson, isn't it? It's, it's actually a fundamental lesson that if you don't start really poor in your business, I feel yeah. like it's one of the best business lessons that you can have because you know, you're questioning why someone's buying proper post-it notes and not fake post-it notes, because why would we possibly spend those extra two pounds when we could get it for a pound? And actually that philosophy then stays true with the business, with those people that you've brought up that way in the business to care for that pound as if it was their own. That's right. Because otherwise, you know, and after we had, you know, a lot of money through investment, then we had a lot of of people that that were senior executive people come in who would think nothing about spending like thousands on I mean, just ridiculous things things that shouldn't even be things and and jobs that shouldn't even be jobs <laughs> and branding agencies yeah. all this money to tell you who you are if you don't know who you are yeah. go and sort yourself out yeah. but you you, you don't out. don't spend Thousands and thousands and thousands to come out with some pyramid to tell you yeah. who you are, and then you put it in a drawer. I don't understand that. Yeah, and and I think that um, a, a really tight budget makes you really smart about why you do something. When I think back to a lot of the businesses that I talk to, or I think back to my own story, where you know, not seeing Harry missing every you know, first steps, first words. And actually, he was three months old when I started Not On The High Street. And so when we got to that point, I always wanted to take him to Lapland, the whole thing. And it took until he was five to get to that holiday. But it was such possibly one of the most magical times of my life that I now still look back to because in a way it was it was a happy kpi it was a it was a something that was yes the mortgage was being paid but actually this was a goal that was what I was striving for. And it reminded me of when you were saying about the school fees. So you know these sort of good life goals. You talked about your school and the kids getting in there as your goal. What was it like when you reached that goal? What oh, was that my God. what was that moment? My mum like? and I my mum and I took them to um it was sort of John Lewis School Outfitters in Cambridge. And I just remember they they put their blazers on and came out <laughs> and we were howling. I mean, we were oh. crying our eyes out, standing outside. Oh, sure. <laughs> How long had that been? Was, what was it from that moment that you said, right, 
we can't make any models of our house anymore with real carpet. I need to do something to that moment in John Lewis's changing rooms. Three months. No. Yes. Wow. Don't worry about. No. Yeah. Not when you're with you. My goodness. Yeah. Three months. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. Oh, we were howling. And they, they turned it on and said, you, you can see now they fit right. I went to turn around and go back in the changing room. It was like, no, <laughs> I'm, this, this moment's lasting a lot longer than that. <laughs> Yeah, we need a cup of tea. We need to sit here. We need to have some photographs. Of all really big the... moment. Really big moment. Oh, my goodness. And you, you set yourself that goal. You reached it very quickly, actually. In any way that you look at that, that was a, not a long period of time. How does your business push you forward now? So we fast forward to today. Do you set yourself similar targets personally and and obviously you've got targets professionally but what's your now viewpoint on those sort of those milestones that you need to hit I think that um I do feel a huge sense of responsibility to people in the business because they do become like your family so you know we've got the factory in Leicester of all these people making the bags and so we make we make you know about 10,000 bags a month Wow. And so keeping that factory yeah. busy, keeping those those people busy so that they I look at Cambridge such it's about what, 150 mortgages a month? Mm. That yeah. you know, that is a huge sense of responsibility. I also I look at the business and I see, you know, what we the difficult times that we went through. I sort of look back at that and and some of the the way that I handed over control to people I thought were the experts and I look at what they did and how it was nearly killed and I I do get driven by a how dare you do that yeah. to my, you know, third child. How <laughs> So getting it back to common sense and simplicity that always worked for us, uh, I, then trying to to get that back on track because the difficulty is when the business grows so much and you do have people come in that have worked at big corporate places and then start instilling all these committees and meetings with loads of people in that go on forever and ever and you know there's agencies and people they've worked with in the past and all this kind of thing you feel more and more disconnected because it literally does not make sense to you you know, why somebody would think that that would work. But maybe that's what it takes to scale. And was that the question you asked yourself? You know, I, 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 you've spoken candidly about this. And I think it's actually one of the things for me, I remember my dad running in with an article that you, um, when in the Times. And, you know, going through scale is a quite a unique process actually and I yeah. don't think there's a rule book for this and so getting people who you've believed to be better than yourself and um, what other people believe to be true is the right thing to do and so you sit back and you go along with this and etc and it was interesting what you were saying about how that sort of Im imposter syndrome slightly started to flare up at that point because there you were you know, thinking, you know, the phrase, you know, common sense is the most uncommon thing. Yeah. Thinking, well, I, I'm not actually agreeing with anything that's going on here, but it's probably going to work out. 
tell me about tell me about that sort of experience there when that and when you were self-doubting yourself probably you reach this point or i reached this point where the the business was was turning over you know 12 million 13 million and um it was still it, it i was feeling like i was the only person that the the buck would stop at you know for everything and it would have been nice to have a proper framework that was more scalable and robust uh, around and so i decided that was the time to to take um investment and that was absolutely the right decision it was the time to take investment but there was this kind of feeling of don't be the kind of founder that micromanages you know you've you've taken on investment now from um, uh, a partner that knows how to scale businesses. Don't be a control freak. But actually, you need to be a control freak because nobody cares as much as you care about it. And nobody cares about the tiny, tiny details that actually do make a difference. And it's it's the poison chalice. You you get people in who have scaled before, and then you get people in who have worked at hundred million turnover businesses. But it wasn't a hundred million turnover business. It was a twelve million turnover business. And so, then when all of a sudden you're 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 being given all of these people, and those typically aren't people that roll their sleeves up and do things themselves. They they hire eight people they've worked with in the past that they trust that then start hiring loads of other people. And all of a sudden, you know, the overhead absolutely becomes crushing, completely crushing. And to go from a business that we had never had an unprofitable month, l- let alone wow. a year, to to being in the position where we had some years where it was a three million pound loss. That's really difficult because yes, you know, it was a, a, a sort of a large investment, but six, seven million into the business, you have a couple of years like that yeah. and it's burned yeah. through. Yeah. And yeah, the same and position again. It's well, very difficult. Worse, actually. Yeah, worse. And, yeah. and it's because it's difficult to unwind it, mm-hmm. you know, for a Unpick long it. time. You're you're lifting stones and you still can't quite believe what you're finding under them you know and you think that you've got to the bottom of things and made them simple again and you haven't and there's something waiting to bite you in the bum with a contract that somebody signed that because they had a c title that then they had implied authority to bind your company onto something that will haunt you for years and it just goes on it's quite a hard thing to get out of it's, it's it's actually what can send some companies under, correct? I, I mean, it can I send mean, people insane and insane, insane. <laughs> under and insane. <laughs> yeah. both, both yeah, not good. Both. both not good things. As you're listening to this episode, I'm so glad you found your way to conversations of inspiration, and I hope you've taken some wisdom from it. Keep listening; it gets even better. Every week, we explore the highest highs and the lowest of lows of some of the nation's favourite founders, creatives and entrepreneurs as they share their stories with me. Having recorded over 130 episodes, there are so many incredible guests to choose from, every one of them sharing their experiences, advice and my most anticipated part of each episode, a letter to their younger self. 
If you're not sure where to start, head to holly.co, where you can browse all our back catalogue by collection. There are buckets of podcasts you can choose from, such as Business as a Force for Good, to female founders, or perhaps hearing stories from those with dyslexia. Needless to say, this unique library has changed my life completely, and I'm positive it will have the same effect on you. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I was so interested when we spoke about your fantastic success in China. And I know you shared a stage, am I right in thinking this, with Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. And I actually think that you didn't just share a stage, you did... I went to his island and... You did a Tai Chi. A Tai Chi. (laughs) You did Tai Chi with him. I mean... It's slightly one of those moments that you go, you did Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. Yeah, of course, of course. But it is, it is, isn't it sort of like you suddenly realise that you are the female Walter Mitty? Right. (laughs) (laughs) You suddenly realise that one minute you're you're putting in your Frey Bentos pie and Fen didn't. (laughs) And then it's sort of fish fingers for tea. And then the the next, next, you're, you're being hypnotised by Richard Branson on a flight to Detroit or doing Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. It is Walter Mitty. Walter Mitty plus. Yeah, plus. This whole new market that you embarked on, tell me what it meant to be that British brand that did that. I think that there's a part of my personality, and it might be some lack of wiring somewhere, that I don't, I don't think about what other people think. As long as I'm doing what I think I'm doing, or I need to do, then I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm fine. And so when you stop seeking approval, it, it's a lot easier, you know, and a lot of people that I speak to say, what would people think if I did that? Or what if I did that? And then it failed or, and, and I just suddenly realize I'm very lucky there because I don't actually care. Chinese people are just people that live in China and they just still need bags. And they like our bags. They like the design of the bags. They like the simplicity of the bags. They like the fact that the bags are made in Britain. Us making steps towards China wasn't at a time when we had all the big executives in. Because they might have said, this is the way you do it. And you need to get this and this. And you need all these things in place. Uh, And we didn't do any of that. And um, so thank goodness, you know, we, we didn't have sort of experts. Because the fact is, nobody is an expert um, at the moment because things are changing so fast. And where we are lucky is that um, there's a genuine curiosity and love of learning, which means that we do keep up with how things change rather than a deep-seated corporate arrogance that is, oh, this is the, you know, whatever way of doing it, this is how we do it. We, we we don't really do it like that. You had a moment in your journey that was pretty hair-raising. It was when one of your manufacturers were passing off your satchels called Zatchels, selling basically your design with your leather in exactly the same dimensions. They were using your patterns. It was unbelievably shocking. You sued them successfully. What was that experience like 
And how did you get through it? First of all, it, it, it came after a very stressful period. There were quite a lot of, there's a string of stressful periods. And there was... Um, the moment that we were spotted at, at New York Fashion Week, because our, our bags were literally sort of fluorescent, and so, you know, the, the cameras went off and, and I know the, the big shows, and, and it all came out. And so um, we had a backlog of 16,000 bags that people had ordered on the website, which was still a bit hokey, to be honest. But um, so we had 16,000 bags on back order, and and I had four manufacturers that were small British manufacturers. And and each one of those had a maximum capacity of about 250 bags a week. <laughs> I had 16,000. It's like hysterical yeah. laughter. <laughs> uh, and, and then people then come and they say to you, oh, it's a great problem to have. Not if you're the person in that seat <laughs> with all those people screaming at you on email. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you're trying to say, oh, w- well done. You've chosen a really brilliant British made product, but it is made by hand. And so there might be a slight weight. You know, it, it, it's not going to be dropped by Amazon tomorrow before 10. Because no. cause actually you're pretty far down the list. Yeah, and they it can might only make be 250 the next quarter. You might be <laughs> yeah, getting your you'll you'll get it next year. Yeah. Um, and and so that was, was, was quite tough. And I'd found a, a manufacturer that would scale up. And, and they had only been making for us for a short time and and I'd bought all the tooling and all the leather and everything. And then I had um, an email come in from um, Liberty London girl, Sasha Wilkins, who's a fantastic blogger and, well, she's more than a blogger. She was fashion editor. But she said, oh, so sad to see you've changed your name. I liked the Cambridge Satchel Company and I think that's a stronger name than Satchel's. So why did you change it? And I said, we haven't changed the name. And she said, oh, but I've just been sent this bag. And it's obviously, you know, it's one of your bags, but it's got this label on it. That's very confusing. And I thought, I have no idea what's going on. And then I sort of typed it into Google and and it came up with this homepage. It said, Satchel's this new phenomenon coming soon and all this kind of thing. I was staring at it, thinking, what the heck's going on? And then I had a phone call from um, somebody who worked, you know, making the bags and said, oh, I've, I, I can't sleep because I've never been involved in something like this before, but we're, we're doing this and I feel really bad about it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, Satchel's are actually, this is my manufacturer that's doing this. And and so straight away I, I thought, well, I'm I'm not big on rules, but but there are some fundamentals. And one of them is you don't work with people you don't like or don't trust. You you cannot work with people you don't trust. And so I thought, well, I have to go down there and take the leather out. That's what has to happen. What didn't kick in was <laughs> you actually have 18,500 bags on backlog <laughs> at this stage. And you're supposed to be making for Comme des Garçons for their Paris Fashion Week show. And uh, they're not really going to be impressed that you're just about to sort of fire your manufacturer. It didn't even enter my mind, that side of it. I cannot work with people I don't trust. And that was the end of it. So I went down and got this um, huge lorry to meet me there and uh, went down and took all the leather out. And then I was faced with the the practical and horrible side of seeing the people Mm. that worked on those bags that suddenly wouldn't have work 
And I said, I'm really sorry, this isn't about your craftsmanship. It's not about your workmanship. This is just that this cannot happen. I've, you know, found out what's what's happening here. This cannot happen. It rocks your faith in people. You know, I hadn't had a manufacturing agreement with any of my suppliers. Mm -hmm. Hadn't needed them. They were absolutely marvellous, ethical British manufacturers. It had been done on a handshake. And maybe that's naive, you know, and when you scale, probably you don't want to do things on that. But I thought I was a really good judge of character. And and that sort of threw me. This is somebody that I had looked in the eye many times and I had no idea that this was going on in the background. So it was, you know, it was really, really difficult. How did you take it, that com- that, that confrontation? Well, I, I'm not a lover of confrontation, but but this was... I mean, clearly, it's just not right. Yeah. I said, I'm He'd not, messed I'm, with your child. Yeah, so, you and know, this it, is, it, and then, yeah, you, then yeah. you step in. Then Mother you get lion really cross, in. really cross then. And said, well, I'm taking all the leather out. You're not making another bag for me. And uh, he turned and and he really poked the bear then because he, he, he sort of said, you'll be back, he said, because you've got no choice, you know, because he knows that I was, that was the main manufacturer and I had this huge backlog. Um, and he said, what do you know? You're just a stupid woman who doesn't know about manufacturing. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I, and I think that... that and was. then the empire was grown. <laughs> and, and, and sort of walked off and there was this kind of like out-of-body experience um, that... I heard myself say, you know, to to the people that were just left around, I I had this realisation of, oh, I don't know about manufacturing, but these are the people that make them. And so I said to her, I can't believe that he's done this. And I can't believe he just said that. And and if he's like that to his best customer, what must he be like to work for? Uh, And I said, well... If you ever are in the position where you want to work for somebody who's not like that, you know, you know where to find me because I am starting a factory near here. (laughs) (laughs) And I could hear myself say it, but I didn't know the first thing about setting up a factory. Uh, And and I didn't have a building. No. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have a building. And I was driving back to Cambridge and I was thinking, okay, after I pick Emily and Max up from school, I'm going to go on right move because that's what you do, right? Everybody goes and on I'm right gonna, move. I'm going to find a factory. And I'm going to find a factory. I'm going to find a factory. And it's, this is quite a tricky time scale, this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to find a factory and I'm going to make appointments to view five tomorrow. And um, by five o'clock, I will put an offer in in whichever, on whatever one is the least awful. So you turned what, again, could kill companies, and you turned that into a, well, a positive. What would be a a piece of advice to those who, in the creative community, and and certainly my community, the small business community, where copying is one of the most awful things and only when you've been copied do you actually know what that feels like what would a piece of advice be to this group I'd of say that um don't assume that your copycats are going to come from China yeah because that is certainly for us not the case that is not where our problems have come from I think that 
go to the um, Business and IP Centre in the British Library where you can get help free of charge on things like non-disclosure agreements and manufacturing agreements and, and all that kind of thing. Because in the early days, you don't have loads of money to spend on lawyers. You, you don't. But having something that's just a template will give you a little bit of a heads up on whether somebody is going to balk at, at signing something or, or not. But they will also help you protect IP. And I, the one thing I was good on from the very beginning was protecting. Now, obviously, I, we do not own the, the style of a satchel. That's British heritage. That's been there forever. But we do own our name, you know, and we do own our logo. And in one year, we had to shut down over 200 websites that were pretending to be us. You know, and, and so you do need to take ownership of your logo and your name. This sort of made in Britain, you've made that part of your tapestry. I, I, of course, it's, it's such a prevalent part of your DNA. You know, as we're moving forward, and I, I'm so happy to think that consumers are becoming more conscious about where they're getting their products from, where they're made, are the workers being paid the right amounts? I've read that you pay good wages, that you're fair. And that it's an affordable, you know, you just made the comment, I wouldn't spend £600 on a bag. So it's affordable. Can you tell me just about those philosophies? You know, I think it's definitely, I have not made my life easy by choosing to make in Britain. But it is important um, that all of our bags are, are made here. Because a satchel is a very British bag. So to make that somewhere just because it's cheaper, I, I just don't think that's... That's right. But in those early days of setting up a factory and learning, you know, where to get a sewing machine and renting machines because you can't buy the machines and all that kind of thing, it it would have been a lot easier to have just done a bulk order of those satchels and got those, you know, it, the backlog rose to over 30,000 bags before we got on top of it. How um, long did it take you to get um, your, from your right move search... Yes. To, to actually having some of those guys, I'm assuming, came over to you. Yes. That, yes, yeah. and, 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 and actually started manufacturing. What was that time period of... We were manufacturing... Our, our first bags were out within three weeks. Wow. But these philosophies, this, this factory had British workers. Yeah, but it was your... so important. It is one of those things that you just need to do... You need to be good at prioritizing because I couldn't at that stage have afforded the factory that we run now. We did the best we could to get the job done. And I think that realizing that that's more important than having things perfect, because sometimes you can't afford perfect. Sometimes you can't afford time-wise, you can't afford perfect. You can't say, oh, yes, tell you what, 30,000 you'll have them in nine months' time because I'm going to get a grant from Europe or something and, and I'm going to get it and, and there's footprints being done of this factory and all this kind of thing. Yeah, ideally, but no, what I had to do was take the factory with the least rodent traps, you know, and, and somewhere where I could actually get uh, access by lorries that carry leather are big lorries, so they need to be able to... It had to be practical. And then you work and get what you can afford... Um, gradually, but it doesn't happen overnight. And this Britishness, do you think that this is something that we can support more as consumers? Do you feel that if you are a British 
brand, so you do make in this country, that you should shout about it and tell people about it? I think that you should shout when you're proud of something to shout about. But then if you travel and find someone making something absolutely brilliant and it's a beautiful thing, then buy it, you know, and support them. What I wouldn't support and what we could never support are those those places that that just treat people really badly. There's no health and safety standards. It's all because it's it has to be done cheaply, so you cut every single corner and guards taken off machines and, and all that kind of thing in the name of, of just getting something out cheaply. I would never support that. But there, for me, is a real beauty in craftsmanship. And I go with, with Emily and Max to Wyoming every year. We, we go to this dude ranch and... There's a place there called King's Saddlery in Sheridan, and they make these ropes. And I could stand there for ages just watching, and and I have, (laughs) just watching these ropes being made. And you think, that's fantastic. And, And I would never want to lose that kind of craftsmanship wherever it is. But if you have that, you should be shouting about it. Our satchels, our British bags, they need to be made in Britain, and, and anyone can visit our factory. It's absolutely wonderful to see them being made, and you know the the marking of the leather of this is where the stitching will start. This is where it'll stop. The embossing plates, you know, it's a really lovely thing to see. But um, I I just love craftsmanship. And you you've said to your children, you have your money, but it's like voting for something. You spend it in the places you want to support. Yeah. And I just I, I quote um, Anna Lappy. She says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for a kind of world you want to live in. And if more people understood this notion, well, it goes back to your £600. A yeah. pound is yeah. a very powerful thing. And yet, I would say in this day and age, we don't believe that. We don't see that. Certainly my son, when he talks about what I need to get him in Amazon by tomorrow, of course, and that it's only, you know, it's only £10, it's only £16, it's only this. We are losing that sort of grasp. Your 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 school said, what would you start with £100,000? You know, yeah. you said... Oh. And that wasn't our school. That was, <laughs> you know... Uh, a normal school in Cambridge, and they're, they're giving these expectations that are not realistic. But it's it's also just enjoying the, the, the journey and enjoying the wait to get something. So I'd sort of like, and, you know, that is pointed in the direction of fantastic vinyl record shop uh, in Cambridge, relevant records, a small independent record store. You go downstairs and and they've got their their vinyl records all sort of laid out and and you can go rummaging through and I've got a list of vinyl records that I really want to find and my son looked at me as you know I was completely mad and sort of said well you can just go online and get them you could have them tomorrow yes I could buy them online but is it really there are some things that are functional you need them so you need them quickly I, I completely get that. But when there are some things that are just a joy, really a joy, then the joy isn't getting it as fast as you as can. quickly as you possibly can. That's what I try to instill. But I think that people are getting and and you know the the younger generations now do enjoy that sense of experience 
and they do appreciate it's our responsibility to do the storytelling properly is this is what it takes to make one of our bags and these are the people that make them if we do that storytelling properly people can enjoy the experience and feel an ongoing happiness about one of these bags and they can talk and and say to their friends I've bought this bag. Did you know this is the history of this bag? This is where it's made. And if you look on the back, you can see this, this and this and continue to get joy from it rather than just, okay, I need a bag. I'll buy it. I'll have it by tomorrow. Uh, I'll wear it. I don't really know where it's and from or where it's away. made. Or then in I'll a just take yeah. months' time. And yeah. it, and it, it's it's that story that becomes your marketing, isn't it? The story yeah. is your free marketing forevermore. The deeper your story, the more depth it has, the more nooks and crannies it's got, the more that that story will live on. We're coming towards the end, but I just wanted to ask you. You you wrote a very um, interesting report for the government. I thought it was interesting. They didn't do much with it. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Yes, it took uh, the self-employment months. review, yes, yes. which you were asked to write by David Cameron, and it cited that isolation was one of the biggest challenges faced by business owners, yeah. with only over thirty percent of respondents saying that it was either a big or semi-big problem. Being the captain of your own ship, um, and I know we've spoken about this before, it can be a super lonely place. Yeah. Actually being a CEO of a very uh, big business like yourself can be a lonely place, but also for that one person in a bedroom starting up, it's a very lonely place. What are what would your tips be or your thoughts now you look back at that journey about that feeling of isolation? See, I'm really lucky because I didn't feel that because I had my mum doing it with me in the kitchen. Um, and there was that demented level of focus but I think for people who don't have such a compelling time frame and this is the danger if if you don't have that sense of urgency if you have you know money to do it and you have you know as long as you need to do it you'll become one of those people that uh, I've come across when when I do these sort of like um ask business questions and, and they'll come up and, and they'll dither. They'll dither for ages on, I don't know about the right name for my business and I don't know about the right end. And you say, oh my gosh, for goodness sake, Cambridge Social Company, I allocated myself 10 minutes to think of the name of the company. And let's face it, it's, it's so I lived in Cambridge and I sold satchels, the Cambridge Satchel Company, <laughs> done. Just but, move on. But also move touch on. on the fact that your bags are sold at uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, and you created your logo in word art. Yeah, word art, not just word. I'm taking a bit of I'm taking a bit of credit here. Word art. You know, some some people that yes. you might have experienced and now are no longer here might have spent, you know, a pretty penny on, on that logo and that brand and that. And uh, what's even you know. more surprising is that that logo did take less than half an hour and it was word with word art. But what is surprising now is there will be at least three times every year that I will go to some event in London where someone will claim to have been part of the team that created the Cambridge Satchel logo. <laughs> and, it, and I'll always put my hand up and just say, you oh, do not look like my mother. And so, 
<laughs> that's not quite oh, true. Oh, what a moment! What a moment! So you didn't. So you didn't feel that isolation yourself. I didn't. You were lucky enough to have your. I didn't, but I think that there are the, the thing to bear in mind with the self-employed. They're incredibly diverse group. But if you if you are doing it in different circumstances than I had, then it is very very common to to miss the support of your coworkers, mm. Mm. to um, to just to miss those people to take a tea break with. If you've mm. been really going at at something for an hour and you think, oh, I need a break from that, it, it would be nice to have somebody that to person. talk to. Um, to to have your but also on the flip with. side of that speed could actually also open up a lot more conversation with people yeah so if you're urgently trying to do something you've got to make 20 phone calls to just try and find the right person well you should be then out going to meet those 20 people or quite you know and so actually I think speed I think sometimes that that, that slowness that procrastination that can happen in an isolated environment is what what really gets to people's minds and the it can and and they they start doing things like reading loads of business books. Oh yes, I was like, oh, I'll read another business yeah, book because that will and, help. Because that'll help. <laughs> I'll read another book about how somebody did something yes. twelve years ago. Yes, that'll really help. Yeah. Um, but during that report, you know, I did also come to realize that being self-employed is not for everyone. Yes. You know, that's not, again, that's not a bad thing, but but what you need to do is to really know yourself. If you've always wanted to try something, then just get on with it. Yeah, no time like the present. No. I use the analogy that run, um, running a business is um, like a roller coaster. And it, it, it certainly is every day, never the same, up and down, stomach lurches up and down. What what would you say on that roller coaster has been your greatest high? Greatest high um, was seeing them in their school blazers. When things are, we've had some really really rocky times, and I've always come back to the thing of this was set up to send Emily and Max to a great school, and it did that. So whatever happens now, I am not going to feel like a failure. That. It did that. And I got to do these incredible things, you know, along the along the way. So you can't keep thinking, oh, uh, if this doesn't happen, then as the next thing, this constant raising of the bar. And, and that's the definition of success and nothing else that came before that matters. That is what will drive you insane and make you deeply unhappy. And on that roller coaster, your greatest low? Greatest low. Um, oh, yeah. The, I would say that I'm going. I'm going to say there were two. There was when I was trying to set up the factory. You go through this thing of giving the appearance that it's fine, and then you pick the children up from school, and it's like, um, oh, dinner. Yes, that that might be a pot noodle, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and then, so I had this insane sort of structure where I would take them to school. I would try to set up the factory in school day. I would pick them up and we would read our book, you know, The Magic Key. We'd go through all that. We, we would make dinner and it's fine. You know, nothing on my mind. No, I'm good. And then I would go to bed and I would attack 
the emails from all the angry people who had ordered a bag and wanted to know, you know, reasonably where it was. There'd be like 3,000 angry emails. And nobody could have been doing their best more than I was at that point. And then to see this this barrage of disapproval. And yet when you're in that kind of place with that much pressure on you, my only, I was honestly thinking, the problem here is that I'm not answering emails fast enough. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's the problem, that I'm not, the problem isn't that, you know, I don't have 10 people to do this in the day, which would be the rational yeah. thing. No, yeah, the problem no, no. is I'm, I can't not, type I'm not being efficient enough here. And so what I need to do is get really creative with text expander, you know. And so I I, I bought for like one ninety nine or whatever some app and I do text expander. So if you do ZZ30, it would say... Um, I'm so sorry or you've you know we're approaching 30 days we're doing our absolute best and so I'd have all these pre-written paragraphs with all these little codes and what makes me laugh is on my phone still occasionally I'll type something wrong and something will trigger a text expander <laughs> paragraph and I'll look back at that you'll be reminded at this thinking, low oh my god you know that is a, a real, real yeah, oh my a real a real real low and then there was a point about a year ago when I'd thought I had got us out from a particularly onerous contract that would have sent us completely into bankruptcy it was absolutely awful. But we got out of it. And I I felt really so relieved. I felt like, you know, I'd been thrown a bit of a lifeline on that one. And then our landlord in London for our Covent Garden shop uh, decided to to put our rent up from the 350,000 level to the 700,000 level. Um, And there was no break clause. And so we were stuck having to pay a rent that we couldn't afford and there was no way out of that either. And and it just sort of felt like, could have dealt with this, but on the back of the other one, you just get ground Universe down. You know, that one's sort of coming. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I think that was a really, really tricky point. Well, I think it would be for anybody, but... This draws us to the end of this amazing conversation. I could sit here forever and I hope that this is the beginning of a a friendship. Certainly from the second I spoke to you, I knew that we, yeah, we have a, a, a connection in our journey. I just want to thank you for being so honest and it's actually the point of doing these conversations. Your honesty is going to help so many people on that journey in the creative business world or in any any journey, actually, just facing through to their issues, doing things with speed, not procrastinating, you know, having speed um, behind you. So I just, I really, really thank you. Something I ask all my guests is to prepare um, for this podcast is a note to themselves, their younger selves. I hope it allows you, I've done my own, um, I hope it allowed you to take a moment just to maybe think back at you um, in the past. And I don't know what's to come, but I just wanted to thank you from everyone listening, you sharing part of your soul with us. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. And I would say that doing this letter, um, I thought, oh God, that's a bind. But then when I started doing it, it it was a real eye-opener because... 
I look back and I, I don't think of myself as old. <laughs> but then when I thought back of when I was sort of 17, 18, and going to university, no mobile phones, there was no social media. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have a computer. And, and I was thinking how different the world was then. And then it made me feel a bit like a dinosaur. But then I sort of had a cup of tea and got over that. So I, I, I wrote my letter um, and it was extraordinary just thinking to how different it was then. And so, it, you know, people do move forward. So cracking on. Okay. So I said, Dear Julie, I'm writing this letter by hand because technology is about to take over. Your phone will do everything. Email will try to rule your life, and I need to tell you to not fall for it. Creativity will make you stand out. When others send email, you must remember that less is more. Send cards, write letters, and know that friends are people that you are actually friends with. This doesn't make sense to you right now, but it will. Enjoy this time before mobile phone madness hits. Celebrate everything. You will have much to celebrate, but you will feel there's no time. You will have the chance to do incredible things, but just do them. Don't worry about not following the crowd. Don't worry about feeling that you don't care about the things other people do seem to. Just know what you do care about and know what makes you happy. Your life will have chapters. Enjoy every one of them and make the most of all of it. Don't spend time with people you don't like. Don't spend time on things you don't care about. Your focus is actually a great thing. You will have the most wonderful children. They will become your best friends. And you will have dogs, boxers, loads of them. You are a free spirit. Some people won't like that or find it easy. And that is not your problem. Oh, <laughs> a tear in my eye. I certainly love this free spirit and I've, I've loved every single second of it. And um, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> so lovely. If you've enjoyed this episode with Julie Dean, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Dame Mary Perkins, co-founder of Specsavers. You can find any of my past episodes by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if we've helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. Thank you.